Welcome to Passion Life Church. So glad that you're here this morning. I really feel that God has something special for us this morning. How many of you already sensed his presence? He, uh, he loves when we come to his house and he loves when there's a faith filled room like today, he loves to show off and show the things that he can do in our lives. And so I've sensed his presence today and, uh, let's pray as we get into God's word. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you today. Thank you for this gift of your word. Speak to us now, Lord, not only by your word, but by your spirit, Lord, Show us, meet every single need. Those watching online, those that will watch later or listen to the podcast, Lord, I thank you that you meet every need, that your word is a light. It's a lamp unto our paths, but it also separates our soul from spirit. It separates what we think and lets us know what you think about things in our life. And so, Lord, I declare today that our hearts are good ground, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, that wasn't everybody. Everybody? Amen. We are continuing the I Am series, and we got this series name by what God told Moses when he wanted him to go back to Egypt, and he wanted him to go back to Egypt to be a deliverer. And Moses asked God a name, asked him a question. He said, he says, who do I say sent me? Exodus chapter 3, verse 14 has been our theme scripture. It says, God said to Moses, and here he reveals his name, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am sent you. That word I am is the Hebrew word Yahweh. Would you say that with me? Say Yahweh. It is Hebrew for existing one. In the New Testament, we find out Jesus is our Yahweh because the religious people of the time wanted to know who Jesus was. And he revealed a name in John 5, 38. Jesus said to them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Am And so we understand that this word has a deeper meaning than just existing one. It actually means redeemer, deliverer, savior. You know, what is so amazing is you find that when people in the Bible had a need, what God would do is he would reveal a name. And I think what is so amazing as well is that he had a name for every need that they have. And I think it's important that you and I understand that, that for every need you have, God has a name. He has a name. And oftentimes... We stay in need because we don't know the name for the need. And so aren't you glad you came to church today so we can learn about the name because you need to know the name of God because his name, he has one for every situation. If you have your Bibles today, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 23, verse four, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse four. And let me give you a little context as you're turning there of what's happening in this book of Jeremiah chapter 23. If you read this chapter, God, what he is doing is he's giving a warning to the shepherds. How many of you know, we talked about shepherds last week in Psalms 23. And I just want to say, I want to thank everybody who came up to me afterwards and during the week said, man, that was an incredible message. It really touched my heart. Why does that bless me? I get blessed when you're getting blessed. I get blessed when you're receiving from the word of God. But in this chapter, what God is doing is he's giving a warning to shepherds who have not been faithful in leading his sheep or his people. Now, I think what's important to understand is in those days, kings and leaders were often called shepherds. But what happened was these shepherds were not feeding the people poorly. They were not feeding the people properly. They were actually allowing what was happening in the culture to start to penetrate their beliefs. And so because the culture and was anti-God, it started to penetrate uh, their, their culture, they started to begin to compromise. And they started to begin to compromise. And in this particular situation, Israel started worshiping other gods and they started to look to other gods to meet their needs, which led to a decline in their civilization. This is exactly what we're seeing now. People aren't going to God to meet their needs. They're going to other things that they now make gods. And guess what happens? The civilization starts to decline. 
time. But thank God for a church, come on somebody, who is the salt and the light, and we are helping to build that church. And even though the gates of hell will try to prevail against that church, the the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church because Jesus is building the church. How many of you are building what Jesus is building? And so this is what happens. And you're seeing this now in our culture. They believe that they could actually find fulfillment in worshiping other gods rather than Yahweh. So they look to other means rather than Yahweh to meet their needs. And in doing that and looking to other means to meet their needs, what they looked for ended up mastering them. And that's what happens when you look outside of God to meet your needs. What you look to to meet your needs can end up mastering you. And this is dangerous because when you don't look to the Lord for comfort, what happens is you can look outside of God to comfort you in different things. And then what you look for to comfort you starts to control you. (laughs) And because of that, they were in bondage. They were in bondage. And so here they are, they're captives. But how many of you know, God doesn't want to leave his people captives. He didn't want to leave them captive as slaves in Egypt. And so he comes back with a promise or he comes back with a name for them. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse four, it says, I will set up, here's his promise to them. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them and they shall fear no more, no nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. You need to know that that branch of righteousness that he's talking about is Jesus coming. And he is a king that shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Isn't that amazing that in all the chaos in the culture that they were seeing, and in the chaos and the culture of our time, you can dwell safely with God. So we can see the culture, but we should not be afraid of the culture because we have a shepherd who makes us fear not. And so he says this, that now that his name by which he will be called is the Lord, our righteousness. So today we're going to dive into the name Jehovah Sitkanu. It's the Lord, our righteousness. Say this with me. Say, Lord, you are my righteousness. Now the children of Israel, God's people had a great need. Because of the way that they were living their life, they weren't in right standing with God. And so what happens is God reveals the name that they need at the time that they need it. I want to say that again. So God knew what they needed. So he reveals a name at the very time that they needed. How many of you know that God is always on time? So God says through Jeremiah, I will be called Jehovah, the Lord, your righteousness. Let's talk today about righteousness. I think today's message is going to so help you live in freedom because oftentimes even this word righteousness, you know, people can make fun of you. Oh, righteous. You know, you, who do you think you are? You're just some snow white. Who do you think you are? You're just some goody two shoes, two shoes. Guess what? You don't understand what righteousness is. And today I believe you're going to be so free and so empowered as you leave today that the enemy is going to be afraid to mess with you. What is righteousness? In the Hebrew, it means cleansed, but it actually means this. It means the justice. It is justice and rightness. Let me say that again. It is justice and righteousness with God, his character in his character. There is no impartiality in God's character. So Jehovah Sitkanu actually is the standard that separates what is right from wrong. His name, his name, and in his name is how we distinguish good from evil. So because righteousness comes from God, only he can define what is right. We are living in a time, I've lived this way, maybe you have, but you've had a revelation of the wisdom of God, but I lived in a time, and it happened in my life, where I was living what, to what was right in my own eyes. There, and we see this in the culture today. People are, what is right? What is truth? There is no truth. There is no right. I'm living to the standard of what is right in my own eyes. And here's how you know this lifestyle doesn't work. Just look at the fruit of it. Honestly, 
I don't have to argue with you. When you look at culture and you look at the way that people, statistics are talking about people who are living what's right in their own eyes. They're depressed. They don't even want to live. They want to commit suicide. Why? Because it is not justice and it is not rightness. It is in your own eyes that you are making a model for morality. I love to talk to atheists because I always go this route. I always say, okay, so you're married as an atheist. Why stay married? Where are you getting your morality from? What is the purpose of being married? Why? Because marriage comes from God. Morality comes from God. Let me say it this way. Morality comes from righteousness and his righteousness. Are you here this morning? And what happens is when we make righteousness or we live to what is right in our own eyes, the end is sin, which leads to death. So he is the standard by which everything else should be measured. You know, this week, I've had some sobering times when I've just been looking at these scriptures that we're about to look at. And when I was thinking about God, our righteousness, do you know that there's going to be a day when you and I are going to look at him face to face, eyes of fire. He is absolute truth. He will look at you and there will be no lies, no excuses. He will see right through you with truth. And I think a lot of people are going to look at God and they're going to try to shuck and drive because you know what? They fooled other people. They fooled themselves, but you can't fool God who is absolute truth. And your little petty excuses that you have aren't going to fly with truth. And that sobers me because listen, in 2023, I don't want there to be any excuses anymore because excuses are really lies that you have believed. But there will come a day where there will be no lies. You will look at him and he will be absolute. Look right through. Man, I think about that and I'm like, whoa, man. My little stupid excuses that may have worked in the past aren't going to work on a God of absolute truth. Why am I saying that? I'm not saying that to bring condemnation to you. I'm saying that to bring freedom to your life that you can actually live and we can be righteous. We can live with the righteousness that God can give us because he is Jehovah Sitkanu. So he is the standard that by which everything else should be measured. As I thought about this, I thought about so many people that I know in 25 years of ministry as they're living right in their own eyes. They can't stay married. Why? Because there's no standard. There's no model. There's no benchmark. There's no gauge for their life. Because they do what they think is right. But my church family, I want to tell you, he is the standard. His righteousness is the standard. I say this because in your decision-making process, he will help you and guide you in what is right. And it will actually preserve your life. You know, the Bible says that if you walk in his ways and you keep his statues, it will prolong your life. Do you know the Bible says that God will satisfy you with long life? Here's God's intention for your life. Just like the apostle Paul said, he said, I have finished my race. You and I are supposed to die when, when you're finished. Let me say it this way. In Psalms 91, he says he will satisfy you with long life. Paul lived till he was satisfied. I want to live till I'm satisfied and I finish the race. Paul said, I finished the race. You say, well, Pastor Phil, the apostle Paul, he died. He was beheaded. Yep. He always said for me to live, right? I could, I could go to heaven right now, but it's more profitable for you for me to stay here, but I'm going to finish. Yes, he was beheaded, but let me tell you what being beheaded is the quickest way to get to heaven. Paul didn't die sick. He died when he was finished. So I say that because we have to have faith in that. And there is benefits to living in God's righteousness. So he is the standard by which everything else should be measured. But wrongness can be understood as that which contradicts God's rightness. Let me say that again. Wrongness can be understood as that which contradicts God's righteousness. So if you're going to make a decision, is it a righteous decision? That can help you out right there. So because God is righteous, here's what's so important. The standard required for his people to be accepted by him is righteousness. 
I want to say that again. Because God is righteous, the standard required for people to be able to be acceptable to God is righteousness. Now, here's what happened. From the very beginning, you and I were created to be in right standing with God. Adam and Eve walked with God in the coolness of the day. It was almost like they had a glory. The Bible says that they were naked, but it was almost like a glory that was over them. And so he made Adam and Eve totally without sin. Now, I want you to think about this. They were in the perfect place, the perfect environment, with perfect peace, in the abundance of perfect provision. God told them, you can eat of every single tree. So I'm going to say this again. Perfect place, perfect environment, perfect peace, the abundance of perfect provision, watch this, with the perfect leader. So what happened? The enemy comes to them and lied to them about God's character. The enemy, here's what it came down to. He convinced them that God was withholding, was holding out on them and that they were lacking in the garden of Eden. The only thing that God was holding out on them was evil. He did not want mankind to experience evil. Mankind experiences evil because mankind chose evil. And God has to give you a choice to love him or else it's not love. It's manipulation and control. And man in the perfect environment with all his needs met bought into a lie that I am lacking something. And so they did what God told them not to do in order to try to meet a need that God had already supplied. This is what he does today. He does the same thing. He lies to you, makes you think if you're a full-blown on fire for Christian, you're, you're going to be lacking, that you still have needs. No, the Bible says, and we're going to talk about this, that he will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory, not according to your job, not according to your bank account, not in cor- according to the CDs that you have in the bank, the interest rate, whatever. It's all according to his riches and his glory. And so that's what the enemy does is he gets you to compromise. Compromise happens when you start to doubt the character of God in an area that you are compromising in. Romans 14, 23 says, whatever is not of faith is sin. So Adam and Eve looked outside of God, the perfect leader to try to get a need met that they thought they needed, but God had already supplied. It's pretty deep. Because some of you, like the country song, looking for love in all the wrong places. And as a Christian, you are totally loved by God. But if the enemy can convince you because your sister ticked you off that you are not loved, you'll go looking for love. If the enemy can convince you that being single is a dirty word, why aren't you in a relationship? Because I'm not ready. And because God loves me so much and values me so much, he's working on the other person to get them ready for me. But I am totally and complete in Christ. But I'm amazed at how many people are looking for things that God has already given them. And you know what? When you look that way into the world, right? Let me just help you. God has already supplied your need. But if you already knew what you had on the inside of you, you would stop wasting your time. Come on, I want to help somebody today. But you just don't know what you already have. So many Christians are like a dog chasing their tail to what God has already given them. Because you believe a lie that Jehovah Yahweh can't supply your needs. Listen to me, single people. This is why it's so important that you marry somebody who is a Christian. Doesn't just say they are a Christian, but they actually come to church and it is exemplified in their character. Why? Because there is a standard of righteousness. If you marry a non-Christian, they could be living and up to their own standard and what looks right in their own eyes. That's why I think my wife and I 
have such an amazing relationship, not because she's so beautiful and because she's so kind. She is all those things. But every time that we have a disagreement and there is potentially a fight, we're going to fight fair because we're going to fight and we're going to talk according to the standard that is in the word of God. Not my standard, not what I grew up in and the dysfunction that I grew up in. Now my standard is not my family. My standard is Christ and his righteousness. Come on, somebody. So I want to be in a relationship with someone who has the same standard. Can I hear a good amen today? Because yes, you're going to have disagreements, but when it comes back to, there is a guide and that guide is his righteousness. Are you glad that you came to church today? And so Adam and Eve sin. And sin became the nature of humanity. You know, and here's the reality. People sin because they're sinners. They don't become sinners because they sin. What am I saying? It's their nature that drives their behavior. It's the sin nature. I have people tell me all the time, Pastor Phil, you don't understand the people at my work. They are crazy. I actually think that I work with the devil. Oh my gosh, if you were just there and then so-and-so, oh, I can't believe, man, you know, they showed up to work and they were, man, they were drunk or they were high. Blah. I understand. You have to understand sinners sin because of their nature. For those of you that have kids, my son, when he was two, they call it terrible twos, right? He's two years old and we would ask him questions, right? Did you do this? Did you make this mess? He would flat out look at us and go, no. And the problem is, is he doesn't have any siblings. He's an only child. And we don't even have a dog. Come on, somebody. You can't even blame the dog. I didn't teach him to lie. My wife didn't teach him to lie. Where does that come from? The devil. That two-year-old needs to be born again. Why? Because there's a sin nature that's in him that causes him to make decisions. He didn't have to go through five classes on how to tell a lie. It's in the nature. Come on, somebody. It's in that DNA. So he needs to be born again. And we prayed over him. Come on. We said, in Jesus' name. And he, I received Jesus. Amen. And so now it's not the terrible twos. Come on. It's the terrific twos. Because we speak those things as not as though they were. Not terrible twos, now is a terrific two. And we have a video of him. He was holy, making a mess. And I said, did you make that mess? He's like, yep, I'm making a mess. Well, at least now you're honest about it. Thank you, Jesus, for the new nature. But the nature drives the behavior. Why is this important? I think it's important because religion says if you'll change your behavior, eventually that'll change the nature. Religion says, let me say it this way. If you do righteous deeds, then you will be righteous, which is actually opposite of what the gospel says. Religion says if you do righteous acts, then eventually you will become righteous. That's not what the Bible says. In other words, the society or religion will say it's what you do that makes you what you be. I know that's not right English, but the gospel says your nature has to change before your behavior changes. That is so important. This is why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if any man, listen to these words, be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things. Everybody say all things. Come on, say it loud. All things, all things have become new. There's a new nature in you. That means all things, everything in your past is passed away. All things. That means you are free. That means there is no generational curse that's on your life. It is broken over you because you have the nature of the one, uh, <laughs> Jesus, that is on the inside of you that makes you new. And now your nature will drive your behavior. So you have to be righteous before you can do right. Righteous. This is so important. That's what the Bible shows us. God knows our nature must change before our behavior does. And here's, if you're honest, I'm being honest. I could not change my own nature. I tried. I could not change my own desires. I was so frustrated. I just wanted to quit. At 19 years old, I got down on my knees. I was ready to commit suicide in my life. And I said, God, if you're out there, I said, I'm going to try you last resort. I've never tried living hundred percent for you. And you know, the Lord spoke to me in my cousin's bedroom. I was living in New Jersey cause I was in so much trouble. I had to leave the city that I was in and I was on my knees and I told the Lord, I've never tried living hundred percent for you. And he said, you're right. You never have. 
And I said, I'm ready to take my life if you don't do something. And he said, you know what? Take your life. I was like, what? He's like, take your life, give it to me, and I'll give you back a life that you never, ever imagined. But this scripture that I'm about to share with you, I hope that you will write it down in your notes. Take a picture of the screen because it is so powerful. It's helped me so much. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 in the Amplified Classic says this, not in your own strength. Turn to your neighbor, say, not in your own strength. Not in your own strength. For it is who? It is God who is all the while effectively at work. How many of you know when God does it, he's effective at it, right? It says, while effectively at work, where? In you, the Amplified Classic says, energizing you and creating in you, watch, the power and the desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. Can I just encourage you, my church family, let him do the work in you. That's all you have to do is open up your heart and let him work in you. Let him create. Let him energize. What? A new nature. Let him give you you the power and that power will change your desire. When he works in you, he changes our desires so that now you can will. Where does your will come from? It's coming from those desires. And this is what's interesting for me is there things now that I do no longer desire. I think that is what's true freedom. It's not just breaking free and feeling like, who I feel free. I bring true deliverance is when God changes your desires on the inside of you. When you smoke for 10 years like I did, smoking packs a day as a young as a young man, I could not break that addiction in my life. I actually had to pray, God, you need to help me. Oh, and he helped me. How do I know he helped me? Not only because I, I not only smoke anymore, but I can walk into a room where there's smoke and I have no desire on the inside of me to say, hey, can I bum a cigarette from you? No desire. Only God can do that in your life. Not you, only God. So how do you do that? Well, the Bible says you delight yourself in the Lord. This is the best deliverance. You just delight yourself in the Lord. Like we were today, we just lift him up. That's all you have to do. We just lift him up. We just surrender. And guess what? He starts to work effectively in your life. And the Bible says that if you will delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. But let me tell you what starts to happen. They're actually not even your desires anymore. It, what happens is his desires start to become your desires. And then you go, what? I, I want to do that? How did that happen? Because as you were delighting, he was changing your desires into righteous desires. And now you're like, I want to do that. See, that's what grace is. Grace is not a have to. Grace is a want to. You may not believe this, but I want to be in church. You know, this two weeks ago, I was in a um, pastor's meeting in, uh, in Dallas. It was a pastor's meeting. And we prayed for three hours in the spirit. Three hours. And it went all night. And you know what? I desired to be there. Before, you couldn't get me to go to church. How is that? Because God changes your desires. My church family and my friends, listen, he can do it if you will delight in him. But you've got to let go of your own strength and you have to receive his strength. Can I hear a good amen today? Come on, let him create in you what he wants and his desires. If you don't have a desire to be generous, guess what? You need his desire in you. If you don't have a desire to forgive, you need his desire in you. Can I hear a better amen today? So what we have to do is we have to have more faith in what the second Adam did opposed to what the first Adam. See, Adam our great, 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 great grandfather, right? Who sinned. He was the first Adam. But how many of you are thankful that God didn't just leave us with the first Adam? He sent Jesus, who the Bible calls the last Adam or the second Adam. And where the first Adam failed, come on, the second Adam, he prevailed. He prevailed. I shared this in our Easter message, but it's so powerful. It needs to be shared. Adam missed it was disobedient in the garden with a tree. But Jesus, the second Adam, in the garden where there was trees, he said, not my will, but your will be done. And the first drop of blood from Jesus's head was in a garden. Nothing in the Bible is insignificant. 
And where the first Adam failed, the second Adam prevailed. But so many of us keep looking to the sin nature and first Adam. Look at what it says, Romans chapter 5. Uh, let, me, let me read this because I actually skipped over this. Let me come back. It says, Romans, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Wherefore is one man, everybody say one man. Sin entered into the world and death by sin, right? The wages of sin is death. For where by one man sin entered into the world, so death passed to all men. So what one man did, right? The Bible says this sin entered into the world. But thank God he didn't leave us there. Romans 5, 19 says this. But as for one man's obedience, many were made sinners. I mean, uh, sorry. For as by one man's disobedience... Let me read that again. Romans chapter five, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Here's the reality, my church family. I did not have enough obedience to become righteous. So thank God it's not my obedience that makes me righteous. I look at the obedience of one who had perfect obedience. His name is Jesus. Jesus. And so when I put my faith in his perfect obedience, I can become righteous. I want to say this because this is a little sidebar this morning. As I was reading this, one man sin entered in by one man sin entered the world by one man's disobedience, but by the obedience of one. I, I just kept getting the Holy Spirit telling me, hey, don't hear, don't underestimate the power of one person. Hear me. I'm going to encourage you in a moment, but can I bring a sobering truth to you? For me, one man, my disobedience, even still today as a pastor, would not only affect my family, it would affect all the lives of the people that are attached to me. Much more, even my son, because disobedience has a rippling effect. But you know what? So does obedience. Obedience has a rippling effect in your life too. So when I think about decisions that I'm going to make, I don't just think about, well, you know, this is what's right for me, you know, and I, and that. No, I think about how many people it's going to impact those decisions. And I think about that, you know, when I hear about all these other pastors falling and having affairs and things like that. Hey, listen, I'm not here to throw stones. I pray for them. And listen, I pray that they would experience God forgiveness. But my heart as a pastor thinks about all the ripple effect of how many lives are affected by one person. Listen, and you don't have to be a pastor for your life to have influence and a ripple effect. It can be the people at work. Come on, somebody. It can be your family. There are people that are watching you that you don't even know, but how much more when we are righteous and we are obedient, that can have an impact on our culture and our society for Jesus. You can make a difference. Don't underestimate the power of one. So now, despite what Adam did and all the sin and the death that came, Jesus, our second Adam, made us righteous. I want to tell you today, please look at me in the eyes. You can be righteous. You can be righteous. Despite from your family tree that you came from, despite the culture, despite the abuse, despite everything that you've gone through in your life because of what the second Adam did, you can be righteous. Second Corinthians 21, for our sake, he made him who Jesus to be sin. There's that word. It's a be to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So how do you and I become righteous? Well, how did Jesus become sin? If Jesus never sinned, here's what he did. He received all of the sin of humanity. Think about that. I think about that because I think about even my own sin. How much is that? that that's a lot. My, my sin put Jesus on there. Just my sin put him on the cross. Can you imagine the sin of humanity, past, present, and future? He's died for sin that some people have never committed yet, but he had to make sure he covered it all. Come on, somebody. 
And the Bible says this, that he became sin. So Jesus received all the sin of humanity. Every sin that would ever be committed, he became sin. But Jesus was made sin. So how was he made sin? By receiving the sin, he became it. So in the moment when he received the sin, he also received the penalty of that sin. That's why the Bible says you were bought with a price. That's what we call redemption. Redemption means to pay back. What did Jesus do? He paid for all of you and I sin. That's so important. In this moment, he took all the wrath of God on himself as payment for your sin and for my sin. He redeemed us back. See, when I say that, even I notice that there's no amens because sometimes we become numb to this. You know why it is? We do because we truly don't understand how much God loves Jesus. I want you to think about this for a moment. How much in your mind can you comprehend that God loved Jesus? How would you even verbalize that? But see, we don't understand what he's done for us because we don't understand the capacity of the depthness of the love that he had for his own son. Because the Bible says that whatever that is for you, how much God loves Jesus, the Bible says he did not even spare his own son because he loves you. God was willing to give his only son who he loved to buy you back because he loves you. Because God loves you just as much as he loves his son, Jesus. What a sacrifice. The Bible says this, that it pleased him to crush his son. That he loved so much, but he gave for you because he loved you. So how do I become righteous? If Jesus received the sin to become it, we become righteous by receiving Jesus' very righteousness by faith. You don't receive righteousness by doing righteous. You receive righteousness by faith, by opening up your heart and you say, Jesus, what you did on your cross, on the cross makes me righteous. So now I live righteously because his divine nature dwells in me. So I'm not becoming righteous because I did a righteous act, right? I was a sinner because I received Adam's sin, but now I'm righteous because I received Jesus's righteousness. Can I hear a good amen today? And so Jehovah Sitkanu is the Lord, our righteousness. I don't know if you're getting this, but maybe this will help you. Well, Pastor Phil, this is all good. I want to receive his righteousness, but I still make mistakes. I still sin. Yes, I understand we make mistakes, but here's the good news. You are not your own righteousness. He is our righteousness. See, Judas tried to be his own righteousness. Oh, Judas, the disciple who betrayed Jesus, he was remorseful. He gave back the money, but the reality of it is it's the epitome of self-righteousness when you try to pay for your own sin. So he went to a tree and hung himself. And if he would have just waited, if he could have just waited, there was one named Jesus who would have hung on a cross for him that could have imparted righteousness to Judas. But guess what? In his self-righteousness, he tried to pay for his own sin. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Listen, you are not your own righteousness. Jesus is your righteousness. You know, I love how the message translation says about God and his name. The Bible says this, Jehovah Sitkanu, the message translation says this, the God who puts everything right. Even though I've made everything wrong, God can put it right. That sounds like a Christian country song. Maybe Eric could write it. When I did everything wrong, Jesus put it right. I don't know. It just has, I I like that. No country music fans in here, I guess. All right. Jesus puts it right. 
I've made bad decision. But Jesus, through his righteousness, can make things right. Are you still there this morning? Look at this. I want this to help you. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned. Reign means this. To be, listen to this, to be or to exercise the highest influence to control. So if by one man's offense, right, there is an exercise of influence that controls. This is what death does. Watch this. By one, listen to these words, much more. Everybody say much more. Much more, they which receive, there's that word again, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. Is this talking about heaven's life? No, what is he talking about? You, when you receive the abundance of grace and by receiving his righteousness, you shall reign in this life by one who? Jesus Christ, our Yahweh, Sid Canoe. Check this out. Righteous people reign in life. So what was controlling you is no longer dominating and influencing you and controlling you when you are truly walking in the righteousness of God. How do you walk in the righteousness of God? You have to receive it. You have to say, Lord, man, I repent of my sin. Jesus, I receive your righteousness. And you can truly reign in this life when you are righteous. So you can call me goody two-shoes. You can call me holy roller. That's all right. But I'm going to reign when you're in ruin because of his righteousness. You and I, as children of God, are called to reign in this life. Reign in this life. So it's when you understand that Jesus is your righteousness, you reign in life. Sin doesn't reign over you no more. Addiction cannot reign over you no more. Come on, suicidal tendencies cannot reign over you anymore. Why? Because you are not your own righteousness. He is your righteousness. Are you learning something today? In the remaining time we have together, I want to show you something in Jeremiah 23. Because Jeremiah gives us three results of righteousness. So he's saying when the shepherd feeds you correctly, right? Today, how many of you believe you're being fed correctly, right? Not from Phil. Somebody asked me this morning, hey, is it going to be a good word this morning? I said, it's an always a good word because he is the word, right? I'm just here. I'm just trying to be a vessel. I, I know I make you laugh a little bit. I hope I do. Uh, you know, some of you, I make you fall asleep, but that's okay. Listen, here, here's the reality. The reality of it is I want you to see the word come flesh to you. That is the good shepherd feeding you today. You feed on that. That word. Are you feeding on the word of righteousness? Because here's the reality. We all need it. So here's the, the reality. When we feed on the shepherd and he feeds you correctly, we're feeding off him. Here's the result. Jeremiah says this, you will fear no more. Jeremiah 23 verse four. And we shall fear no more. David, Psalm 23, we read last week. These are going together. I don't know if you get this, but David said, because the Lord is my shepherd, I will not fear. I want to ask you a question, my church family. What are you still fearing about? What do you have to fear? Right? Because if there's fear in your life, it's because there is a name of God that you don't have a revelation of yet. What do you have to fear? Well, you know, if I give him the offering today, I don't know if I'm going to have money. Well, that's because you don't know God. What do you have to fear? What you're saying is that God has already supplied a need. Out of that need, you're not willing that he's supplied. You're not willing to give back to him. So you're afraid that God is not who he says he is. That's a bigger problem than money. Because here's my question. If we can't give a tithe, if we can't give 10% out of every dollar, how is God going to save you and take you to heaven if you can't believe for a dime? Come on, my church family. What do you have to fear? Oh, well, you know, I, Pastor Phil, I, I feel sick. I understand, but this is not the end. You are going to live in the Jesus name, right? You are going to be healed, and we declare that you are healed. You need to start walking in that because you have a Jehovah Rapha. What do you have to fear? Nobody loves me. I can see why if you talk like that. 
God loves you. He will love you more than any person could ever love you because he is love. What do you have to fear? Because the Bible says that those that have fear are not made perfect in love. Hmm. You are totally 100%. You know, what if somebody breaks into my house? You have angels bigger than the size of this room that encamp around you. What are you afraid of? Come on, let's be honest. What are you afraid of? People won't like me. Good, because they didn't like Jesus and he was perfect. And he said, count it all joy when you experience persecution. Because guess what? You're acting like the son of God. What are you afraid of? Come on, somebody. They will not be afraid. You will conquer what's controlling you. And when God looks at you, you don't have to even be afraid that he's going to see all of your mess ups. When he looks at you, he actually sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. You have no reason to be afraid. And then he says, number two, you won't be dismayed. You know what dismayed is? Jeremiah 23, 4, you will not be dismayed. This word is a result of what happens from fear. It says that you will start to break down. You go down, you are shattered. Fear breaks you down. It breaks down your life. Anxiety breaks down your life. I'm going to tell you something. God does not operate on fear. He says, you should not worry about anything. A sheep's life is totally dependent on the shepherd. That's why he gives us that analogy. But see, the quality of the life of the shepherd is dependent on who your shepherd is. So if your shepherd is money and you put more trust in money, yeah, you're going to be afraid. But don't blame God. If your shepherd is other people, that you're following other people, some people's shepherd is the news. They follow whatever it says. And the news, they can't even get their stuff together. What is your shepherd? But the quality of your life will be dependent upon the shepherd that you follow. I want to follow the good shepherd. Come on, somebody. And I want to live with no fear, right? I won't be dismayed. And then look at this, number three. He says, you shall not lack That's my scripture, Psalms 23. When we built the church, when we moved out here, David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. That word means decreased or diminished. We're going to move from a great job, a, a great city, just bought our house. Man, and you're telling me, Lord, I'm going to, I don't know what, what's ahead, but the Lord is my shepherd and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Watch this because I think it's all going to come together. See, the reality of it is the world wants to make you think that if you live righteously, that you will always lack. But the word says, the Bible says that those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will always be filled, not lacking, be filled when you hunger for righteousness. Listen, that's why David says, my cup is always running over. He's not lacking. He is running over. And that even in the presence of his enemy, there is anointing and food. Despite what all his enemies tried to do, God is feeding him right in the midst of his enemy. Hmm. I will not lack. Isn't it interesting that when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, God always fills you. There's no lack. What does the Bible says? The Bible says about the righteous begging for bread. I've never seen what? The righteous beg for bread. Why? Because the righteous won't lack. Come on, somebody. Say, I won't lack. Come on, say, I'm not going to lack. Come on, say it loud. Say, I'm not going to lack. Because he is the good shepherd. I want to close with this. It's interesting how when you start... You study the Bible and all of these scriptures start to come together about righteousness. And I would encourage you, read the Bible. Because it's in moments of your life that those scriptures, the Holy Spirit will be back to your remembrance. But you know what another thing righteousness does? Maybe you haven't thought of this, but it's in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 6 says this. You have a breastplate of righteousness. I thought, why is that? He says... 
verse 6, first, uh, chapter 6, verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. So truth is the belt that holds all the armor together. But listen, he says right after that, having a breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because out of your heart flows the issues of all your life. But righteousness becomes a breastplate of knowledge, of wisdom, of what is good, what is evil, right? It is the standard and that guards your heart from things getting inside of you, right? Getting inside your heart because out of your heart, the mouth speaks out of your heart come the issues of your life. But here's the reality because you are righteous because of what Jesus did. You are covered with the breastplate of righteousness. Come on, say that with me. Say I'm covered. Say I'm covered. Come on. Say I'm covered. So we're going to let God put everything right. Jesus is the Lord. Jehovah sit canoe. The Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, your righteousness. So you have two questions. You have two options. You can live in self-righteousness like the Pharisees, like Judas, or you can live in his righteousness and he makes everything right. Justice and rightness. I think you know my heart when I say this. I've never been more happy in my life. I'm not talking about possessions. But looking myself in the mirror and going, you know what? I don't get angry as quick as I used to. I don't think thoughts like I used to think anymore. You know what that is? It's his righteousness working in us. You know, the Bible says that his blood cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Jesus' blood is so alive in you, it's constantly cleansing you of unrighteousness. And I look back over my life and I think, God, what a work you have done. I couldn't do this by myself. If it was up to me, I'd be dead many times over. But because of your righteousness, Jehovah Sitkanu, you make it right. You make me right so I can stand before you and come to your throne room boldly in a time of mercy and to obtain grace. And Thank you, God, for your righteousness. Come on, would you give the Lord a good round of applause today? Come on, would you stand? Did you get something out of today's message? Come on, would you say this with me? Say, he is my righteousness. He is my righteousness. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? Lord, we thank you today for all that you've done for us. We don't have to fear even death. You said that death has no sting for a child of God. You said that even death, to be absent from the body is to be present. And it's just like that. For the believer, there's not even any fear. You close your eyes and you're in the presence of the Lord. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear lack. There's no fear because you love us because you are righteous. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.